excited to talk to you about this today because when we started the week, I was not excited about this sermon. So it's slowly over time after spending time with it and what that meant. Now I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you start the week and you're really excited and then you run into some roadblocks. This time I started like Monday through Thursday was roadblocks going, man, this one's going to be tough. So that's where we're coming from. So I'm asking for your patience as we move forward. And uh, we're going to talk about Nehemiah. So this is, it's going to go in sections. You've got to stick with me though. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, stock, uh, talk about Nehemiah, and then we're going to move into the challenges that they ran into, and then some application back to Nehemiah, and then some application that I think will make some sense. So we're in Nehemiah, and remember last week we talked about what's even worse than uh, than adversity. It is possible there are things that are worse than adversity, and that could be success. And a lot of people, you know, as they met success, this has kind of been their doom. And for many of you, as you've moved up in your career or things seem to go well. That seems to be a point where we're, you know, there, you know, there's fewer people around you and you're a little more susceptible to some of the challenges the devil throws at you. But let's just talk adversity with the people of Israel. They're almost done with their wall. Can you imagine that? They've been working out for over two months. They're almost done. Like the dedication is already planned. The potluck, people are thinking about what they're going to bring. And it's already a lot of falafels and a lot of things. You know, everyone's ready to go. And they're getting close to the finish line. Just think about some of the adversity that they went through to get here, though. Okay? So this is in, they, they got shipped off at one point to go to Babylon away from their hometown. And, and when you hear that in the Bible, you're like, okay, they got put in captivity in Babylon. But have you ever, like, transferred for a job? And how awkward that kind of feels? Have you ever had, like, transferred in school? Not college. College isn't quite the same. But have you transferred in school, like, elementary school or high school? High school would be one of the worst things ever. You go to this new environment, and it's awkward enough to be in high school, but now you're trying to figure out, like, what are the rules? How do things work? And you're trying to see, like, where do I fit in? And it's so, so hard to try and transfer. So now they have transferred to a brand new country, and they're living in Babylon, and some really thrive in Babylon. And they're there for, it's the wall that they're going to fix is 152 years old, but they're there for 70 years. And some people, they went there, they never came back. Daniel goes to Babylon, he never comes back. And do you blame him? I'm like, why wouldn't he go back to his homeland? How many of you are from like Germany originally, your family? Are you thinking about, you know what? I'd like to move to northern Germany. That has never entered my brain ever. That's, that's not that long ago, right? Or, or Norway is where some of my relatives are from. I, that has not entered my brain to say like, you know, honey, I think it's time we go back to the homeland. Time to go to Norway. I couldn't afford it. I could last about three days in Norway. So this does not enter our brain. So some people have totally kind of be, made their place in Persia and Babylon, and now they're going back, though, in waves. They're saying there's this longing to get back to Jerusalem, and they go back there. Everything is destroyed. The, the temple is destroyed. The, the walls is destroyed, and they slowly have to kind of rebuild their life. This is way different. My grandpa would have turned 100 this week. This is way different than going back to my grandfather's farm. It's 100-plus years old. It still has the house. Right? It still has the granary, it has the barn, and if I had enough money, I could make it awesome. Right? He has this old truck that I love, the Chevy Silverado it is. It's this classic, I don't know if it's classic, it's classic to, classic to me. It's kind of a lime green and white, if you can imagine it. But I grew up, that's the truck he drove. He brought it brand new, 1976. I was born in 1976. It is as old as I am, and my uncle has it stuffed in the barn. I thought, man, wouldn't it be fun to drive around town at two miles per gallon and this fixed-up truck, right? If I've got enough money, I could make this beautiful again. So this is the people of Israel. They get there, and they say, we've got to make the temple beautiful again. But this temple was so outstanding when Solomon got done, all the inlaid gold and everything about it. 
and remember his, his ministry is, is so, uh, the, the um, silver was just like dross, it said. He was so wealthy and so rich that when they got done with the temple, people cried. Not because it was so beautiful, they cried because it was never going to be the same as what it was before. And I think it'd be the same thing, right? You could go and you can fix up your house and you do all these things and it's never quite the same. So this is some of the emotions they're going through, but they get there. They're kind of just making it work. And Nehemiah says, you know, this is not what God wants for his people. We've got to dream bigger. We have to finish this wall so we're safe. And we can be God's people in Jerusalem and worship in peace. And the people get motivated. They start building this wall, but how many things did they run into? Their greatest enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah. Remember these guys? I was looking on the internet trying to find a picture of Sanballat and Tobiah. I don't know which one of them it is. I think... Um, I'm not sure if that's Sambalat or Tobiah. When I hear about these guys, how many times did they come at the people of Israel to no avail, right? They come at Nehemiah. First, they start making fun of them. They make fun of the stuff that they built. Then they say, like, uh, their dreams. Like, are you really going to worship? Is that really what you're going to do? That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And this really starts to strike home. And you say, why would that strike home? I give the example of losing weight. If you said, I want to lose 20 pounds, okay? That's... We're America, so everyone's been on a diet, all right? So, so you want to lose 20 pounds. I can't look at anybody because people are like, is he looking at me? So, <laughs> so you've been, you're trying to lose weight, and you, you confide this into someone. What would it feel like if someone looked at you and said, like, they made fun of you? There is no way. You're pathetic. There's no way you could ever lose weight. That doesn't feel very good. What happens if you got done and you're really proud of yourself and you went into the office and you, you, know, you, you, you got out of the husky pants and now you're in the regular pants and you're feeling good and they're like, have you gained weight? You're like, no, I've lost weight. Like, oh, it's pretty pathetic. So that does not feel good. What would it feel like though if it got down to your dream? You lost some weight and they're like, wait a second. Do you really think you're going to get with that girl if you lose weight? Is that, is that wait a second, is that what you're trying to do? And how crushing that would be. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Manipulate the people of Israel to say, like, what you're doing is pathetic. And they start going along, and they try, and they try, and they try. And Sambal and Tobiah come at him again. This time they threaten them, remember? They said, we are going to, when you don't know it, we're going to come and kill you. And when you take security out of something, it makes you nervous. And the people are, and they're isolated, and they feel alone. And that's exactly what happens. They feel alone. They don't know what to do. And so Nehemiah says, we're going to work together as families. And when I sound the horn, everybody goes, we're all going to help. This is what we're going to do to try and get this job done. And everyone's like, okay, now we're going to do it. And then it progresses even more. Sambalat, and they, they start coming at him, not only threatening their life, but now, remember how bad it was with the famine? They had to mortgage their stuff. They had to mortgage their house. They had to mortgage their land and eventually got to a point where they, the next logical item on their list said, in order to succeed right now, we have to sell our kids. Like this is serious, lousy situation. Nehemiah pulls them through that. And now the finish line, this is all the adversity they've kind of fought through and they've, they've battled together and they're praying to God and they get, the finish line is right there. It says the wall is almost done. And you can imagine how exciting. But who do you think is going to come attack? Sambalat and, uh, and uh, Tobiah. Does this, just for the record, does this cartoon make any sense? Does anyone watch this show? It does make sense. Like, the gravity never makes sense. The clouds never fall. He never falls. Do you know how fast a roadrunner can go? I did some research just because I was doing that. 20 miles an hour. Do you know how fast a coyote can go? Up to 43 miles an hour. 
Do you know what a real roadrunner looks like? Would that be the object of your collective dreams if you had like to say, this is one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to devote my whole life to trying catching this animal so I could eat large. I mean, it's got a long tail, but there's not a lot of meat there. And if you're going to choose a meat to eat, would it be an object that runs for a living? Would that be very tender? You'd have to have like a four-day marinade on that. So I don't know what, I don't know what he's going on. But why, why does Wiley Coyote keep going after the roadrunner? I don't think it's for the satisfaction of the food. It's because they see that this other person is winning again and again and again. And there's this psychological thing that says we have to defeat this Nehemiah. We just have to beat him. And so they keep coming again. Um, what we're going to run into is they have a number of invitations that come to um, Nehemiah. And they're trying to trick him ultimately. They, they threaten his life and now they have this invitation. And when you read about what it, it, what it means to be a Christian, there's a number of attributes that God says about us. One is that we're loving uh, patient, we're kind, and all of these have to do with Christian decision-making, ultimately. Right? You, can, you can't really be very loving and just sit in bed, but we're saying, are you making loving decisions? Are you making patient decisions? Are you making kind decisions? And when you get to kind of the upper levels, if I were to use a word like that, maturity, we get these other kind of words that are very closely related. And one is maturity. What is maturity? Maturity is that you've been around long enough that you've experienced and you've gathered enough knowledge to recognize the implications of the decisions you make. That's maturity. And you start thinking about other people. Wisdom is not just intelligence. Wisdom is saying that you've gathered this intelligence and now you want to apply it appropriately. Discernment is saying you know what you should do. And you're trying to, but you've had a way through a lot of stuff to say this is the next move. If you look it up in the dictionary, ultimately it says discernment is saying like you, what is apparent to your mind is not clear to every mind. So if you're trying to make this big decision, you could go to some friend and they, they might not give you very good advice. You go to a discerning friend who's able to look at the whole picture and say, you know what, right here, this I think would be the right move and this would be the wrong move. This is, now just to give an example, and this is my prayer, that you love, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. As a Christian, and this is ultimately what's coming up to Nehemiah, is how do you discern what is best? And here is Tobiah and Sambalat. So when the word came to Sambalat and Tobiah, Geshem and Arab, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not seen the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. And so I sent a message to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And know what he did? Four times they sent him the same message and he sends him the same reply. We're going to get to his reply in a second. But ultimately, what is his answer? I'm carrying out this great project. How many decisions do you think you make a day? I did a little research. So some, I read some posts that said you make 15 decisions just when it comes to food. So we're going to bring up food again. So this is, um, uh, you know, Monday's tomorrow. So people are thinking about food. So um, you're thinking about food. You, I read 15 decisions a day, and I thought, you know what, I think that's way under. So then I did some more research with actual reputable things. They said in a given day, just when it comes to food, you make 230 decisions a day. 
230. So that means 230 times you're deciding what you're going to eat and not eat. And so people who are on smart diets, what do they do? They limit their decisions. If you go to your cupboard and it's only good things, you can choose between A good, B good, or C good. But if you go to my cupboard, it's very difficult to do this, right? Or if you have a pastor that hands you candy in the front of church, this becomes very difficult to say, do I do this or that? So 230 times you've got to do this. And you know what's really interesting? You can't just say, I'm going to try harder and harder and harder. Your willpower and your decision-making, this is just psychological for a second, has, a, I'm just reading a book called Deep Work, but there, and it also comes up in the book Power of Habit. It comes up in all these books to say that you only have a limited, kind of, it's like a muscle that can't go forever. Right? Your willpower is not like Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible. He never gets tired. He runs for half the movie, and he never, I ever saw him once going like, oh, man, that guy's fast. Instead, he's running full speed for like an hour and a half. I'm like, how does he do this? I played Elwood in pickleball, and I was sore for two days. Like, I don't know how he does this, but your willpower works the same way. It gets tired, and every time you make the decision, it takes a chink out of your armor. And you say, like, I'll give you one example. Has anyone ever purchased a car or a bicycle recently? Okay, so we got, we got some, okay. You are, you, you struggle over it, you do the research, you do all this stuff, man, should I do this? Should I, I don't know, should I get the car? And this could last two months, you know. Some people, it takes two years before they make a decision, they finally buy it, and then what immediately happens, as soon as you take a, you say, yes, okay, I've made the decision, you, you take a, a rest. And that's right when they come and they ask about financing. That's right when they ask about undercoat, that's clear. That's right when they want to know if you need accessories or a bike rack, and you're like, I think I do need a bike rack. I think I do need accessories. If you've recently bought a bike, when did it happen? I bought this for a suitcase. We went and bought a suitcase, and we get down at the Samson thing. Amy buys a suitcase, and what do they say? They say, if you act right now, one time only, 30% off accessories. I'm like, wow, we could use some of these cool plugs. And I'm like, if you just pause that decision, and you'd ask me the next day, do you need a cool plug? I'd be like, no, I don't need a cool plug. If you got a new bike, you've, you got a new car, and they ask about a bike rack, and you're like, I don't need a new bike rack. Like, why would I do that? I don't need new floor mats that match. When do you buy all this stuff? Right when you get a vehicle, because you put so much energy into making this big decision, and then you're tired, and you make the decision. How many decisions a day, though? I read another stat that said 35,000. 35,000. So smart people... This is why it's a big thing now. Smart people try and line up as many things at the beginning and the end of their day so they literally do not have to make a decision. They get up and this is their routine, right? They drink 20 ounces of water, then they move over here, then they meditate for 10 minutes, then they do this and they go for a walk and then they feed the dog and then they put in their contacts and they brush their teeth. You know, like they've got this routine. Why do they do that? Because you don't want to burn any of your energy on stupid decisions. Of those 35,000 decisions, how many do you think really, really matter? Maybe five. Maybe five. They come again and again. Four times they come at him with this invitation, come hang out with us. And he says, I think they're going to hurt me. But four, they come again and again and again. And he says, I'm carrying out a great project. I'm doing something that is bigger than what you're asking me to do. If you want to know what discernment is, discernment is the ability to see what is what God has in mind for your life on a bigger picture and to say, how does that compare to the decision I make right now? Does it matter if you go, to, go out to eat after church? No. But does it matter if you're really trying to save your money? 
Does it matter if you, you know, take this job or that job? It, yes, but does it matter to the fact of how you're going to raise your kids? All of these things, you gotta, you're looking at this bigger picture to say, where is God plugging me in now? And to be able to look at whatever decision is right in front of you right now, the only way you can do that is not saying A, B, or C. The only way you can do that is look past it and say, what does God have in mind for me right now? And Nehemiah gets this invitation. Of course he'd want to take a break. I mean, let's just say the guys weren't trying to hurt him. Of course he wants to. He's been working on this wall for 52 days. It's not even his job. His job was a cupbearer, and now he's running this whole project, and people are whining to him about how they have to sell their kids and all this food and all these things. He's like, oh my gosh, what I wouldn't do just to sit and do nothing. And then this invitation comes, and it sounds so good. And instead he says, I've got something bigger. God has something bigger in mind for me. They're so frustrated because each time he gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, they're playing hardball now, Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. So that meant like it is ready to be written out loud, in which it was written. Now look at what they do. It is reported. This sounds like very truthful right now, doesn't it? It was reported among the nations. All the kids at school say, I heard, and Geshem says it's true. So there's another guy, the other evil guy says, you know, they're in a room. This could be among the nations. These are three different nations represented in one room. So it'd be like, it's, it's reported among all the genders that it could have just been myself talking to my wife, right? So this is what's happening. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. This is the only reason. It has nothing to do with glory for God. It has nothing to do with trying to do what God intends for you. But instead, this is just for you to revolt against the nation. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have even appointed prophets to make the proclamation about you and Jerusalem. Any of you ever been at the tail end or at the front end of someone spreading rumors about you? You know, sometimes it's no big deal. But what happens when someone tells someone you care about something? And they're like, ah, it was no big deal. I'm guessing anyone who's been involved in a divorce has had a struggle with this. Anyone who's been involved in a divorce with kids, this is probably the hardest thing that has ever happened in your life. As you sit there and you hear what other people are saying, what you're doing with your time, what you're doing with your money, what you're doing with your stuff, and it's coming, and it's coming, and you're coming like, how do I even handle this? How do I even fight it? And it feels like you're just like boxing the air because it can just keep coming. These rumors keep coming. It can happen at work. It can happen to someone who's jealous about your job. These rumors that are squeezing down on you, and this is what's happening in Nehemiah. At the last second, they're saying, okay, let's at least spread a rumor that he's trying to do something evil to the king, so he freaks out a little. There's a king in Judah. That's what they're supposed to yell, and now this report will get back to the king so come, let us meet together. He says, okay, guys, this is your only chance, Nehemiah. You've got to come meet with us. We're the only ones who can help you out. I sent him this reply. Nothing like that, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it out in your head. So just look at how Nehemiah handles this problem. The problem comes... He recognized that people are telling themselves their story about the things he's going to do, and he says, what you're saying... This is not true. And they replied, you are not validating our feelings. That's not true. I just made that up. They're all trying to frighten you into thinking your hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed, but I prayed now strengthen my hands. 
This continues the next day. They actually try and pull in a prophet from the temple and they say to Nehemiah, come to the temple because they had a plot to hurt him there. And this is going again and again. And through this whole thing, what is Nehemiah's simple prayer? He says, first of all, I want you to recognize one thing. This is not true. And two, he puts his strength in God. Where does this put you at when we talk about application and jobs and trying to figure out something to do? 35,000 decisions. 35,000 decisions a day. I don't know if that's totally true, but 35,000 decisions a day. Do you want to go to the mall? Do you want to eat this food? Do you want to go to happy hour? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to help me out with this project at work? Do you want to come over after school? Do you want to date this person? Do you want some more of dessert? Do you you want to help out with this? Do you want to volunteer for that? Do you want to give your money for this again and 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 again? And you get so tired that you're not always sure what to do, but what is God saying ultimately when he comes to Nehemiah when we talk about discernment? God is saying you got a bigger project. 35,000 times Jesus had an opportunity to sin. Do you ever think about that? Every single day? Not one time did he say that was the option I want to take. 35,000 opportunities that certainly sounded appealing. Not one time did he do that. Why did he do that? Never did he go down the wrong path. And when you read it, it says resolutely, as he gets ready to go to his sacrifice, resolutely he heads to Jerusalem because he intends to go all the way to the cross for you resolutely. And they call him Satan and they make fun of him. They do all these different things for him, but ultimately he says, God, it comes down to you. It comes down to you. And in his discernment, he says, there's a reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And the bigger picture is to save the lives of people, I have to say no 35,000 times. A million times, 10 million times, so that he could go to the cross so pure that there was not a single blemish. And he can hang. And when God looked at his sacrifice, he said, That's absolutely enough. And when God looks at you, he says, That's enough. 35,000 decisions. You're going to make some good ones and some bad ones, right? Probably made some bad ones already this morning. Are you going to check your email? You're going to check Facebook. You're going to click on that. You're going to look at this. Are you going to say this to your spouse? Are you going to treat your kids this way? It's really easy when Satan isolates us about these decisions to say that this is, that's too much. It's too much. It's too much. But God is asking you to step aside as his forgiven children and loved by him and, and make some choices. Is there a bigger picture that God has in mind for you? Is there something besides A, B to say, God, you have a bigger project for me in mind? Is there a bigger project than growing in your Christian faith? Is there a bigger project than raising your kids so they know who Jesus is? Is there a bigger project than sharing the gospel with the people that you know? Is there anything bigger that you can think of? But now I prayed, I'll strengthen my hands so that you can do this. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you put so many things before us. We're weak. Uh, We make mistakes and we feel broken. This is the very time that we want to give up, but we pray that when people come at us and rumors fly, we can have that same discernment of Nehemiah to say that these things are simply not true. And I want to put these in your hands, Lord. Help us walk with you. Help us live a life of discernment and recognize that all these decisions we have to make, there's only one overarching thing. First things first. 
is that we're your child and there is no greater project than walking our faith for you. There is no greater project than taking care of our kids and grandkids. There is no greater project than your gospel So because there's so many people that do not know the forgiveness that comes in you. So we ask that we have strengthened hands so that we can live this way as we leave these doors. Amen.